Chapter 3, Conative Will. In your task of developing and training your willpower, you must carefully acquaint yourself with each and every one of the several stages or phases of will to the end that you may master each particular phase in turn. In order to acquire complete control over your processes of willing, you must master each of the phases of the general activity involved in them. You must attack the subject in detail, conquering each of the phases or divisions in turn. When you have made this conquest of the several divisions or phases, you will find that you have made a conquest of the whole. If you have failed heretofore to attain the conquest of willpower, you will probably find that your failure has resulted from the fact that you have made the mistake of attempting a frontal attack upon the opposing army, directing your attack upon its strongest point, where it is able to bring to bear upon you the maximum of its defensive strength. Such attempts usually result in defeat. The true general attacks the flanks of the enemy, cutting off his bases of supply and then defeating him in detail. This method of attack is the plan which in this book we shall advise you to follow. We will teach you how to gain control of the bases of supplies and then how to attack one flank after another until you have gained the control and mastery of the entire organized forces of willpower. Having accomplished this, you may then press these captured forces into your own service, causing them to fight for you instead of against you. You should begin your attack upon that wing of the army of will, which may be called the general phase of conative will. In this category, we include the feeling and desire phases of will, which have been indicated in the preceding section of this book. Conation is defined as that element of our mental states which shows itself in tendencies, impulses, desires, and acts of volition. Conation essentially is unrest. It exists when so far as an existing mental state tends by its nature to develop into something else. Conation manifests itself in an attempt and endeavor of striving to attain something of which the idea or mental image exists in consciousness or subconsciousness. A typical instance is that effort of the memory to recall a name which has escaped recollection for the moment. It is on the mental plane akin to that which on the physical plane is manifested as muscular strain arising from contraction of the muscles plus a feeling of pleasantness or unpleasantness, as the case may be. A leading reference work says, conation is common to desire, yearning, longing, craving, wishing, and willing. Indeed, to all states of consciousness which have an inherent tendency to pass beyond themselves. In desire, consciousness endeavors to pass from the want of an object to the possession thereof, or if an unpleasantly toned idea enters consciousness, say the idea of an embarrassing situation, a conation arises and consciousness makes a forcible effort to eject the unpleasant idea. Conation is that mental state in which the feeling element of desire tends to transform itself into the element of will, where it transforms the I want or I want to into I do. It follows the rule of desire, which causes the movement toward the object 
or a condition promising the greater emotional satisfaction and content, and away from the object or condition threatening the greater emotional dissatisfaction or discontent. Will arises from affection. Affection arises from emotion and feeling. Affection says, I like. Desire says, I want or I want to. And will says, I do. In order to understand conative will, you must first understand and control the feelings, emotions, and affections from which conative will springs. Very few persons realize that feeling, emotion, affection, and desire are really phases of will. Psychology, however, informs us that the conative will is the supply department of the army of willpower, that it is the branch of the willpower organization which supplies the active branches of the service with the material with which they work and without which they cannot manifest activity. It is very important for you to realize this fact fully, since you must begin your work of developing and training the will by acquiring control over the processes of the feelings, emotions, affections, and desires, which go to make up that which is called conative will. You are familiar with the praise accorded to the strong will, but very likely you are not quite so familiar with the fact that under the surface of that valuable mental quality and power, there must always exist a strong, ardent, insistent, and persistent desire. Without strong, ardent, insistent desire, even the strongest will will fail to be called into action. Will has been said that desire is the flame, the heat of which generates the steam of will. The men of the strong will are almost always found to be men with strong desire. What is called aspiration and ambition is really merely a special form of strong desire given definite form and direction by idea. Likewise, all forms of religious or spiritual craving or moral aspirations are forms of desire. Nearly everyone believes that he has desire well-developed within his being, but as a matter of fact, very few persons have even begun to realize what desire really is. The great masses of persons believe desire to be merely the faint colorless wanting or the equally gentle and mild wishing, which represents the extent of their development of conative will. They usually have not even the most remote idea of what it means or feels like to be filled with that eager, longing, craving, ravenous desire which expresses itself in an insistent demand for the desired object or condition and not in the mere wishing for it or perhaps even longing for it. Such persons have no conception or experience of what it is to want a thing as fiercely, insistently, persistently, ardently, overwhelmingly, and vitally as the drowning man wants a breath of air, as the shipwrecked or desert lost man wants a drink of water, as the famished man wants food, as the fierce wild creature wants its mate, as the mother wants the welfare of her young. Until they know by actual experience what it feels like to want in this way, they do not know what desire really is. You will note that we repeatedly employ this above illustration of insistent desire in this instruction. We do so purposely that its repetition will stamp it indelibly upon your mind. But those individuals of the race who have accomplished great things, those great masters of circumstance, those great directors of fate along all lines of human life and endeavor, 
men like Caesar, Napoleon, and other men like them in less prominent places in life, these men know full well what it means to experience this fierce elemental thirst of desire, and their strong willpower has been aroused into action and maintained in persistent and determined action by the elemental force thus set into manifestation and expression. Such men and women act upon the principle that you may have anything you want, provided that you want it hard enough. And they begin by wanting it hard enough. The failure of many persons is originally caused by their lack of the power to want things hard enough. When you learn how to want a thing hard enough, you will have taken the second great step on the path of attainment, which is mounted by the energy of willpower. The first step is that of knowing just what you want. Definite ideals and insistent desire, these with will are the prerequisites of persistent determination. Desire supplies the motives for all action of the will. Without these motives, the will would not proceed to action at all in any direction whatsoever. If you had no desire concerning a particular thing, then you would not manifest will activity toward or away from that particular thing. In such case, you would remain perfectly neutral and passive in your attitude toward that thing. This holds good concerning your mental attitude and action toward or away from anything or everything. The general rule concerning the effect and influence of desire upon will activity is as follows. You always act in the direction which at that particular moment of consciousness seems to promise the greatest degree of emotional satisfaction and content or which threatens the least degree of emotional dissatisfaction or discontent. The promise or threat being either direct or indirect, immediate or remote in time and place. This rule holds good even when you act to relinquish an immediate or present good in favor of a future or remote good. Also, when you relinquish a present good because of the fear of some unpleasant remote or future consequence of the action. In all cases, you will find that your actions are based upon the rule that one always seeks that which will bring him pleasure or get rid of pain, immediate or remote, for oneself or for others to whom he is bound by ties of sympathy or affection. This pleasure or pain may be on the plane of physical, mental, moral, or spiritual emotional feeling, respectively. The principle applies to all planes of emotional activity and manifestation. The technical rule of psychology concerning will action is as follows. The will proceeds to action along the lines of the strongest motives present and acted in thought and in feeling at the moment of the action. In considering this rule, you must always remember that the motive always is to be found in feeling, emotion, or affection raised to the conative plane of desire, this being more or less influenced and directed by reason. Reason, intellect, memory, and imagination, however, serve merely to the directors and aids to the desire element of will in such cases. At the last, they are seen but to serve to point out the road over which the strongest desires may travel most efficiently and successfully, and whereby undesirable consequences may be avoided. They indicate merely the how and the direction whereby the desire may be most effectively and fully satisfied. The realization of this absolute but comparatively little known rule concerning will action brings us to some startling logical conclusions when we seek to reason out the matter to its end. 
we then see that our highest and most unselfish as well as our lowest and most selfish actions are performed under this same rule. You must not for a moment fall into the error of identifying desire with merely the unworthy examples of that mental state. On the contrary, the very highest aims, aspirations, ambitions, and striving toward high ideals are likewise in the category of desire. Anything that we wish to do, want to do, or strive to do, high or low, egoistic or altruistic, moral or immoral, social or unsocial, commendable or reprehensible, material or spiritual, all these are forms of desire based upon feeling, emotion, and affection. The highest morality is that based upon the strong feeling, emotion, affection, and desire to live a moral life which satisfies and contents the spirit rather than upon fear or the mere wish to be well regarded by other persons and to meet with popular approval. But here you must not fall into the error or fallacy of believing that man is a mere automaton moved hither and thither by desire or as a mere helpless slave of desire. While it is true that you act by and through your will and that desire is the motive of will activity, it likewise is true that by the introduction of ideas and ideals, even desire is given form and direction, strength and power toward a definite end. By means of the scientific introduction of ideas and ideals, you may give to any form, phase, aspect, or mode of desire and feeling a great degree of strength and power which it did not possess previously. In such cases, your will wills that desire shall be in accordance with will. It wills that it shall be supplied with the right kind of desire power, which is required in order to call into activity the needed degree of willpower. The untrained will is like a stream flowing through a channel dug for it by others. The trained will, on the contrary, first digs its own channel and then flows through its self-imposed, self-limited banks and walls. It is self-limited and at the last, self-directed. Keen reasoners at this point sometimes object that even in such cases, will is moved by desire in some form or degree. Such reasoners hold that all that the will accomplishes in such cases is to master one set of feelings and desires in favor of a higher and more dominant set. This is close reasoning. It is logically correct and has never been successfully controverted. But even so, the principle of the control of desire by the will remains undisturbed so far as is concerned its pragmatic and practical application. While you may never expect to escape the influence of desire, even in your highest will activities, yet you may stand upon the high position of the dominant will and from that position may control, stimulate, weaken, encourage, or depress the power of the lower forms of desire and feeling. In fact, when you reach the heights of willpower, you will find that the element of desire seems almost to blend into the essential element of will itself, almost to become identical with it. In such cases, you will be forced to the conscious conviction that here at the last, you have ceased merely to desire to will and instead have reached the point where you are able to will to will. Be the metaphysical theory whatever it may, the fact remains that to him who has climbed the heights of will, there sooner or later comes the supreme report of consciousness of the freedom of the ultimate will. 
But such heights are reached only by those individuals who have paid the price of attainment, who have persistently climbed the steep mountain paths of willpower, and have at last reached the clear space at the top. Such experiences are known to the great masses of the people. The average person is practically the slave of his desires, usually of his cruder and most primitive ones. He does not understand even the first principles of the mastery of desire by the dominant will. The great mass of persons are will slaves. There are but few real will masters. Here in a nutshell is the distinction between the will slave and the will master. The average person is moved to will activity by the forces of feeling, affection, and desire, the strongest desire motive always winning the day. Those who have arrived at a scientific understanding of the subject, however, know that while it is true that the strongest desire always wins the battle, nevertheless, it is equally true that the strength of feeling, affection, and desire is directly proportionate to the strength of the ideas or ideals animating it. Consequently, by the skillful employment of attention, itself one of the principal weapons of will in the direction of holding in consciousness a certain set of ideas or ideals, one may cause these ideas or ideals to energize the set of feelings and desires associated with them, and at the same time to weaken the opposite set of feelings and desires. By the control of the attention, the IMI through the will is able to control feeling and desire to make them act as his servants and thus to attain to the mastery of will. By the scientific employment of ideas and ideals, through the attention you may control, direct, and master the activities of the conative will. But as we have said, the average person has not even the faintest glimmering of this truth, and as a consequence, such persons remains throughout his life a will slave instead of becoming a will master. It is an axiom of psychology that the degree of force, energy, will, determination, persistence, and continuous application manifested by an individual in his aspirations, ambitions, aims, performances, actions, and work is determined primarily by the degree of his desire for the attainment of his objects, his degree of want and want to concerning those objects. This is the more technical statement of the principle embodied in the aphorism which has been previously quoted to you i.e. desire is the flame that produces the steam of will. The logical inference being that when you wish to produce and use the steam of will, you must first supply the full flame of desire. In that book of this series entitled Desire Power, we have considered in close detail the subject of desire in its relation to other forms and phases of personal power, including the phase of willpower. In it, we have drawn upon familiar human experience and upon the facts of natural history concerning animal life for the purpose of illustrating the nature and character of desire regarded as the motive power of will activity, etc. The following paragraph marked by quotation marks, reproduced from the pages of the book referred to, follows the presentation of those illustrations. We advise you to study carefully the principle announced therein and to commit to memory the spirit of those principles as expressed in the master formula of attainment as follows. You may have anything you want, provided that you one, know exactly what you want, two, that you want it hard enough, three, confidently expect to obtain it, four, persistently determined to obtain it, 
and five, are willing to pay the price of its attainment. We have called your attention to the above examples and illustrations of the force of strongly aroused elemental emotions and desires, not alone to point out to you how strong such feelings, emotions, and desires become under the appropriate circumstances and conditions, but also to bring you to a realization of the existence within all living things of a latent emotional strength and power, which is capable of being aroused into strenuous activity Mm -hmm. under the proper stimulus and directed towards certain definite ends and purposes indicated by that stimulus. That this strength and power is aroused by and flows out toward the particular forms of stimulus above indicated is a matter of common knowledge but that it may be aroused to equal strength, power, and intensity by other forms of stimulus, such stimulus having been deliberately placed before it by the individual, is not known to the many. Only the few have learned this secret. The method above referred to, whereby the latent desire power may be aroused and stimulated by the presentation to it of the stimulus of suggestive and inciting ideas and mental pictures, is based upon the following psychological principle. Desire is aroused and flows forth toward things represented by suggestive images and mental pictures. The stronger and clearer the suggestive idea or mental picture, the stronger and more insistent is the aroused desire, all else being equal. The knowledge of and the application of this principle renders you the master of desire instead of the slave of desire the latter condition and state being that of the great multitude of persons who have not learned the secret of the mastery of desire. The following quotation from Professor Halleck will serve to illustrate the principle involved in the process of the employment of the power of attention in the direction of presenting to desire the stimulus of suggestive ideas and mental images in order to more fully arouse and to further strengthen the feeling and conative tendency. Halleck says, the first step in the development of the will lies in the exercise of attention. There is a sense of effort in voluntary attention. Ideas grow in distinctness and in motor power as we attend to them. If we take two ideas of the same intensity and center the attention upon one, we shall notice how much it grows in power. Take the sensations from two aches in the body and fix attention upon those of one of them. That idea will grow in motor power until we may act in a direction supposed to relieve that special pain, while the other is comparatively neglected. If we at the start want several things in about equal degree, whether a bicycle, a typewriter, or a cyclopedia, we shall end by wanting that the most on which our attention has been most strongly centered. The bicycle idea may thus gain more motor power than either of the two other, or if we keep thinking how useful a cyclopedia would be, action may tend in that direction. We may state as a law, the fact that the will determines which motive shall become the strongest by determining which ideas shall occupy the field of consciousness. Every idea which becomes an object of desire is a motive. It is true that the will tends to go out in the direction of the greatest motive that is toward the object which seems most desirable. But the will through voluntary attention puts energy into a motive idea and thus makes it strong. 
It is impossible to center the attention long upon an idea without developing positive or negative interest, attraction or repulsion. Thus does the will develop motives. We have seen that emotion and desire arise in the presence of ideas and that the will has influence in detaining or banishing a given idea. If one idea is kept before the mind, a desire and strong motive may gather around that idea. If another idea is called in, the power of the first will decline. The more Macbeth and his wife held before themselves the idea of the fame and power which the throne would confer upon them, the stronger became the desire to kill the king, until it finally grew too strong to be mastered. They were, however, responsible for nursing the desire. Had they resolutely thought of something else, the desire would have been weakened. The suggestive ideas and mental pictures which we have urged you to employ in order to arouse and heighten the vigor and power of desire are as follows. Suggestive ideas and mental pictures serving to awaken deeper and stronger feeling and emotion concerning the object of your desire and tending toward awakening a stronger degree of affection for that object, which as a consequence heightens the flame of desire and thus produces a greater pressure of the steam of will. These suggestive ideas and mental pictures should tempt the appetite of the desire by presenting to it pictures and suggestions of the satisfaction and content, pleasure and joy, which will follow the achievements or attainment of the objects of desire. This principle is elaborated in the book of the series entitled Desire Power, in which are also given suggestions and methods designed to aid the working out of the principle.